0: This week we're getting into chapters 3 and 4 and Paul does something that if you're a parent in here or you have been around children in any way, Paul answers some questions which you probably have some experience with with kids. I mean, I don't know about you, but kids ask the most questions I've ever seen in my life. They want to know about everything. Why? Because they don't know. They have no idea. Well, Paul was having to answer questions just like that. These were people who were newly saved, a church that was just planted, and they were writing them questions wanting to know how do I live In this world, what do I do? How do I function? How do I exist in this place with all this corruption, with all this pain, with all this hurt, with all this lying, with all this falsities? How do we exist in that? And Paul's like, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna answer your question. So as we look in chapters three and four, Paul answers this question and he shows us how we can have a faith that makes us right. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. God, that we get a chance to come here to worship you. God, I pray today that you open up our hearts, open up our minds. Help us to know what a true faith looks like. God, I pray for anybody in here who has pain, who has hurting, that, God, you would reveal that to them today. Let them know you can heal it. God, let them know that you have a future for them. I pray for these things. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you made it to church this morning. Now turn to your other neighbor who was your second choice and say, you look like a some church, my friend. You look like my friend. You know, as I said, I was, uh, I was raised at HOF. I love being a part of the house here. I love just the generosity of the giving. And, and I love that we have a church that can answer questions, just like Paul did. And, and Paul was asked this first question. We see it in Romans chapter 3. And these are, these are Jews who are living in Rome that have converted to Christianity. That's who he's writing these two books to. So these people, they know the law. They, they know the stories of the Bible. They know who God is, but they just knew about him. They didn't really know him, but they wanted to know about it. They, they, they had a question. Here was their first question, and this is what they said. Does what I know about God count for anything? Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. What's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. And here's here's what the people were asking him. They were basically asking Paul, hey, we know who God is. We have a past with him. We know his stories. We know his works does that count for anything? And we can relate to it like this. If you were raised Baptist or you were raised Methodist or Catholic or full gospel or any, any other so many different churches and denominations, if you were raised in those, does that count for anything? I mean, does it matter that, that I went to a Christian school or I didn't? And the answer is yes, it does. It does matter. You've had the opportunity to have God exposed to you. You have the revelation of probably who Jesus was in your life. You are blessed with the knowledge of knowing things about the Bible. So yes, Paul was letting them know it does count. It does matter. You do know things, and that is awesome. He was telling the Jews, you know stuff. They're probably all patting you on the back. We know things, man. This is a good day. It's nice when you're in the know. Paul let them know. You know things, and that's great. But here's the thing. It wasn't enough. Because even though they knew things, Paul wanted them to know God wanted more. God wants you to do more than just know who he is. He wants you to have a relationship with him, and he wants to get to know who you are. He wants you to have an authentic faith, not just a knowledge of who God is. I said I went to, I was raised in church and went to Christian schools. I was in Bible class six days a week. Trust me, if there's one thing I know, it's the Bible. I could tell you pretty much any story you want to know out of it, and that's great, and that was awesome for the first 21 years of my life. I knew tons about the Bible, but I didn't have a relationship with God. It wasn't until 2009 when I went to the Relentless Conference for XG that I truly gave my heart to God, that I began an authentic faith in my life, and I realized that God didn't just want me to know about the Bible. He wanted to get to know me and have a relationship with me, so yes, it is awesome that you know stuff about God, but he wants you to have more. He wants you to have an authentic faith. So then we go to the next question. And the next question they asked him is this. Is God faithful when others aren't? That's is a big one. Is God still good when others aren't good? Is God faithful whenever other people aren't faithful? Can I trust God when nobody around me is trusting God? We see it in Romans verses three and four. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful Does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. I love love how Paul compares it to everybody else being a liar. You ever been in a room full of liars before? Like, you don't know what to believe, you don't know what to trust. I asked one of my uh, family members, I was just joking, I said, hey, you ever been in a room full of liars before? He said, yeah, I've been to Washington, D.C. I was like, oh, that's just mean, bro, don't, don't. And he was kidding, but but I was like, man, it made me think, like, what, have I ever been, like, you ever had it in a workplace and you were around somebody you knew, didn't tell the truth, and you knew that they were going to stab you in the back? You ever had a friend or a family member that you're like, dude, every time I'm around you, you lie. Like, it, it, it makes you uncomfortable, doesn't it? It makes you question things when you're around somebody who's not honest. And they asked Paul this because the thing was, there were tons of Jews in that area who weren't trusting God, but they knew the truth. The Greek actually says in that unfaithful right there, it means that they didn't trust God. So what they were asking him was, hey, there's tons of Jews around here that have been converted, but they don't really trust God the way you're talking about. Do, what do we do? Do we still trust God? And here's the good news. Paul says, yes. Even if everyone around you is unfaithful, God is still faithful. Even if everyone around you is not good, guess what? God is still good. Even if everyone around you is a liar, God is still the truth. Come on, in this day and age, when there's tons of false truth, there's tons of lies, there's tons of fake news, how many of you are all excited that we have a God who is the truth? A God who tells the truth, a God who is the truth, a God who loves authentically. We need that, especially in this day and age. And Paul knew that, and he was reminded him of that. He was saying, hey, I know you're surrounded by falsities, you're surrounded by mistrust, but God is good. God is faithful. We have a God around us who is the truth even when the truth is distorted. Paul wanted to shift our focus. Paul was shifting our focus from unfaithful people to a faithful God. He wanted us to know that God was faithful no matter what. You might be wondering in your life, you know, can I trust God? I've been through a lot. The people around me don't trust Him. They know the truth just like I do, but they don't trust Him. Well, I want to encourage you, you can. You can have faith even when others around you don't have faith. You ever had to have faith when the people around you didn't trust God? Whenever I was, uh, in 2013, I had just graduated from interns at community college, and, and I was I was looking for what my career was going to be. I really felt God had called me into ministry, but an opportunity hadn't arisen yet. Well, at the beginning of 2013, Pastor Rob, who was in charge of our student ministry that time, he approached me and asked me, did I want to come on as the kids pastor at HOF? Now, I knew God had called me into ministry. Four years earlier, he had called me. He He had put his mark on my life, and I had heard him say to me, you were willing to give up everything for somebody else. What are you willing to give up for me? And I knew at that moment, God wanted me to sell out my life to him. He wanted me to give up anything I had to to follow him. And, and I was offered this position, but here's the thing. It was a part-time position. wasn't full-time. It, wasn't, it didn't have a good career path attached to it. You know, like financial security wasn't really in the cards. It was a lot of faith security. Like, God, I'm trusting you to take care of me if I do this. Well, I had a family member who, who heard about me wanting to do that. And they also heard about how I had a job offer that was paying four times what I was being offered as the kids' pastor with a career path, with benefits, and with the opportunity to move up and move away. They heard about that opportunity. They drove eight hours and surprised me on a Sunday morning as I was serving in the kids' ministry and sat me down and told me point blank, you better not take that job as the kids' pastor. You better not. You have an, a responsibility to people. You better not let anybody down by taking this job. You're not going to be able to take care of a family. You're not going to be able to move out of your mom's house. You're going to be a 40 year old bum pastor living at your mom's. Like, this guy was just laying it on me, like, man. You're making me question these things. He was just laying it on me. He was telling me that you're not gonna be able to do the things that you wanna do in life if you take this, because there is no chance. I serve God just like you. You can just serve in church, that's good enough. I'm gonna tell y'all, it rocked me. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to believe. But when I went home and I prayed, God reminded me of what he called. He said, what are you willing to give up for me? Are you willing to give up that security and replace it with faith? Are you willing to give up that career and replace it with faith? Are you willing to give up that future and replace it with faith that I've got you, that I'm faithful? And I I went back and I told Pastor Rob that next day, I'm going to step in and be the kid's pastor. I'm here to tell you all, that was uh, eight years ago. I'm happily married, I'm living in a great house, I work full-time doing what I know God has called me to do, I have a wonderful life, I'm able to support and do everything that I wanted to do, and why? It's because I had the faith, the faith that God put in me had said, hey, I want you to do this. Now I'm going to turn it around for a second, because God is always faithful, but we're not always faithful, now, remember, this happened to me. Somebody came in and said, I shouldn't do this. Two years later, my little brother was going on the mission field. And he was about to, he's got an opportunity to go to Africa. It was an exciting opportunity. And he needed money to get there. So he decided, I'm going to start selling things to get there. So he, he took his Xbox and he said, I'm going to sell my Xbox to get money to go onto the mission field. You know, it sounds exciting, sounds noble, but here's the thing. Me and a few other family members put our money together to buy that Xbox for him. And we had just bought it for Christmas just a couple of months earlier. Yeah, we weren't too thrilled when he told us, I want to to go sell this thing. So I sat down and talked with him and told him, dude, if you sell that, you're going to make people mad. And I realized right after I said it, oh my gosh, I just turned into the people that I did not want to turn into. God dealt with me. And he reminded me, hey, even when you're imperfect, I am perfect. He reminded me, we don't put our faith in people. Look, I don't know if y'all know this, I'm not perfect. Nobody in here is perfect. None of the pastors on staff is perfect. People, people come to me sometimes and they tell me, dude, I want to model my life after you. I'm like, whoa, are you sure? Because I know me and I got issues. And sometimes it scares me. Like, you really want to model what you do after you? They're like, bro, you look like you have an authentic faith. I'm just like, man, do you really know me? Are you sure you know me? And it makes me ask that question. But here's the thing I always remember that we are an imperfect church that makes way for a perfect God. We have a God who is perfect. People aren't perfect, only God is. We're imperfect people who are serving a perfect God. That's why I love being a part of household of faith. I love being a part of a church that's not just a church, but it's a church that gives us grace and a place to grow. Because we're going to make mistakes. Just because you get saved and you have that authentic faith doesn't mean you're not going to do or say dumb things. Trust me, I have done and said some very dumb things. While I was a pastor, while I was an intern, there were many meetings people had to have with me where they sat me down and went, Dude, if you keep going down this path, it's not going to be a good thing. Why? Because they wanted to help me. They gave me grace to grow, but they wanted to help me to do it. I love being a part of my church. I love being a part of a church that gives us that grace, that gives us that faith. So now let's get to the next question. Paul, Paul's laying out things here. He's answering the questions they have for him. Here's the next question the Jews had. What about the rules? You see, they were Jewish. They had the law. Come on, they had the law, and it was good for them. This is what it says in Romans 3, 9-11. Well then... Should we conclude that we as Jews are better than the others? He said, no, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. Here's what Paul was reminding them. Hey, you were born into a sinful world. You were born with a sinful nature. Nobody truly knows God. You might know his rules, because back then in the Old Testament, they had like 613 rules. But here's the thing about rules. Rules don't do anything but get in the way. Rules, rules have a way of exposing our sin, but then guess what people start doing? They start hiding their sin. Romans 3.20 says, No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law or the rules command. The law simply shows us how sinful we really are. You can't get to heaven by keeping a simple set of rules. Back then, they had 613 rules to follow. 613! There's like six rules in my house about where things go, and I can barely follow those six rules that my wife has for me. She's like, your shoes do not go here. My shoes always end up there. Like, your shirts don't go on the back of this. Man, somehow, my shirt's always... I don't know about you, but I struggle with these things. Like, we can't can't put this here. Oh, I'm going to try to remember it this time. Like, six rules, six places. But I have trouble remembering it. Anybody here ever played, uh, you ever played board games before? You ever, you ever grew up, like, had some family board game nights? I learned something about board games growing up. We, we, played, uh, we loved Monopoly in my house. Do I have any Monopoly lovers in the house? Anybody? Yeah, come on. The thing about Monopoly at my house was it was a contact sport. <laughs> all right? Monopoly ended many a night with fistfights table flips or things thrown, true story. We have pictures of it, it's bad. We played Monopoly, we loved it, we had a great time, and a few years ago I was hanging out at some friends' houses and they said, we wanna play, let's play Monopoly. I'm like, oh yeah, this is gonna be good. We started playing Monopoly, and I noticed after a couple of rolls around the board, They were playing with some very strange rules. I'm like, what do you mean you're mortgaging off something? Like you're starting a bidding war, like what? What are you doing? You're not playing Monopoly. They started yelling at me. I started yelling back, I'm like, I'm a pro at this. I'll scream at Monopoly, we're about to fight. I know how to win this game and it's be the last man standing. We started going and they went, dude, have you ever actually read the rules before? And I'm like, we've been playing this game for 30 years. We pulled out the rule book and they showed it to me. Turns out we've been playing for 30 years with house rules. We, we didn't, I didn't know how to play Monopoly at all. And you know what I realized? When I learned the rules, I stink at Monopoly. <laughs> I'm not very good. Because I learned the truth. And that's the thing that rules do. Rules just make us realize, man, we stink. There's no way I can live up to these rules. There's no way that I can, that I can make it. I can accomplish enough things to get to heaven. But here's the good news. Paul wanted to know that's what Christ did for you. Jesus came to pay the price for all those rules, and Jesus came to save us. Romans 3, 21 through 24 says this, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. So hey, without keeping all the rules, I'm going to show you how to be made right with Jesus. And it was said in the promise in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Place our faith in who? Jesus Christ. Christ come on we are made right by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes what no matter who we are God doesn't care whether you're old whether you're young he doesn't care whether you have a crazy past with a ton of bad things in it or you have a spot clean past he does not care he loves you and he said no matter who you are Because of Jesus, you can be made right with me. Go to the next verse. It says, for everyone has sinned and will fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through who? Christ Jesus. He did it through Christ Jesus, where he freed us from the penalty of our sin. God knew we couldn't live up to the law. He knew there was no way to keep 613 rules. Look, y'all probably all give your kids one or two rules in here. Keep your room clean. Keep your bathroom clean. Do they do it? No. Two rules. Can't follow it. I saw half the kids in the room nod. The other half were like... Some of them looked at their siblings and looked at them and went, No, you're lying right now. So now we can add falsities to the list of things. But that's the thing. We can't keep the rules. God knows that. That's why he sent us Jesus. That's why he sent the one and only person that could pay the price for all those rules. You see, Christ shows us the way without having to be imperfect. Thank God I can get to heaven without having to be perfect. He showed us the way without having to be perfect. I'm so glad that's true. This was God's promise, not the law, that we're made right by placing our faith in Jesus. and that No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, we can believe in him and his power and the resurrection from the cross, the price that he paid, and we Can go to heaven because of that you see here's the thing about grace i'm going to just do a simple definition of grace grace is a favor done out of the spontaneous generosity of god's heart without any expectation of return and always toward a friend who in here gives you the most grace in your life is it your enemies probably not is it your co-workers maybe but i guarantee you your friends and family do I guarantee you the people that you have a relationship with, they'll give you the most grace in your life by far. Why? Because they have that relationship. Here's the thing, God wants that same relationship with you. He extends that same grace and says, I want to be in a relationship. I want you to know who I am, and I want to know who you are. I want to be, we tell the kids all the time, Jesus wants to be your best friend, and it's simple, but it's true. He's your Savior. He wants to walk step in step with you, and he loves you. But we have to have that authentic faith in him. Faith that he died on the cross for our sins. Faith that he was resurrected three days later and conquered death. Just like that scripture said, we can't pay for the law, but Jesus did. And we can have a faith in him that will deliver us. We are saved in grace through And this is huge news because especially back then, this is counterculture to religion. You see, the Jews back then, they all thought that the way to get to heaven was to follow all the rules and laws that God had given them, all 613. I don't know how they thought they could follow that, but they thought if I do this, I'm going to get to heaven. But that's not, that's not what God wanted them to know. He said, you're going to get to heaven because of what my son has done. I'm not trying to be good enough for God. I'm never going to be good enough for God, but God is always good enough for me. God always makes room for me and my fault, and says, "I love you. I know you've messed up. I've seen your past. Guess what? I sent my son to pay for that past because I wanted to give you a future with me." See, God cares about all of us, and He loves every single one of us. Now, does that mean that uh, that you can just go around sinning and doing whatever you want? No. Paul addressed that too. He actually talks about it a little bit later in the book of Romans chapter three. He says, no, that doesn't mean you can go around freely sinning and doing what you want. It means that when God comes and lives inside of you, he wants to help you live the right way. He wants to give you that authentic faith so you have his spirit living inside of you so that motivates you to make the wise choices in your life. You know, I don't know if I, any of y'all have ever struggled with this before. Probably not because most of y'all are probably way, way better than I am. But I used to struggle with cursing. Um, Something terrible and here's the thing about me and cursing. I am the most uncool sounding person in the world when I curse Like you ever hear people when they curse and you're like dude, you sound dumb like that was me Like I sounded terrible when I said curse words But I, I struggled with it for like 10 years. I started cursing when I was like 11 years old. I was around some bad influences But I started cursing I couldn't stop couldn't stop I got saved and I remember I had been trying to stop cursing for years And I remember laying it down when I turned 21, when I got saved, when I put it at God's feet and said, God, I am ready to stop this. I am laying it at your feet because I can't beat this on my own. And I can safely say 12 years later, it is not something that I struggle with on a daily basis anymore. It is not something that I, from that moment forward, it was not a huge part of my life. It was not holding me down every single day of my life. I didn't have to watch my conversations that I had with people, especially in church. God delivered me from it. Why? Because his spirit was inside of me and he wanted to motivate me and help me to live the way that he wanted me to live. He gave me grace because I'm not perfect. Trust me, there are still times where I say bad words. If you're like me and you've sat in traffic in South Louisiana, you know, you know sometimes you don't say good words. But that's why God gives me grace. He says, I know you're not perfect, but I'm going to keep motivating you to be better. I'm going to forgive you of that sin, but I'm going to help you to not do it anymore. And he wants to do the same thing in your life. He extends that same grace to every single person. So the first question does what I know count? Yes, it does. Second question, what about the others who aren't faithful? God still is faithful. Third question, what about the rules? Well, God gives us grace. So now we get to the fourth question. And this is this one's kind of this one's kind of tough. This is getting to Romans chapter 4 now. Because the Jews, remember, they knew the stories of the Bible. They knew who Abraham was, and they knew who Moses was, and they, they knew these things, but they didn't really know God. So they, they asked him a question. They said, wait a minute. How do we know this is true? Has God done this before? Why should we do this? And this is what they asked him. Why should we do this? We know the stories in the Bible, and there's this New Age thinking. This doesn't sound quite right. In Romans three uh, 4, chapter 1, this is what they asked him. So how do we fit what we know about Abraham, our first father of the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got to God who approved him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. You see, here's how Paul answers this. He says, hey, Abraham was the father of our faith. God was doing this back when Abraham was around. We just didn't see it. We thought it was all the rules. God was like, no, no, it was the faith. Paul explains it to him right here. Abraham, who was the father of faith. Now, to give you some backstory on the story of Abraham, Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. He lived about 2,000 years before Jesus, sometime around 2,000 B.C. He lived 400 years before Moses. So before the law even came into play with the Jews, Abraham was around. He was the original father of our faith. Romans 4, 3-5 says this, For the Scriptures tell us Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his what? Faith. It never says he was counted righteous because of his works, because of what he did, because of things that he thought. It says he was counted righteous because of his faith. That word believe, when you look it up in the Greek, it says to put his trust in, to put his faith in. And because he put his faith in, the next part of that scripture says God counted. When you actually look it up in its original translation, it says God counted. It means it's an accounting term that God credited his account as righteous. Why was it credited? Because of his faith. You see, God knew way back when it's going to be faith that saves you. Not works, not rules, not laws, but faith. And he did it with Abraham first. This confused them. It's confused all the Jews. They were like, what do you mean it was the faith? We, but the, the law, the rules, the things like that. And he, he followed what God said. Remember, the circumcision. They asked him the question. Paul asked, what about the circumcision of Abraham, huh? What about that? He followed the rules. He did what God said. Paul answers them in Romans 4.10. How did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before Paul said, clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Why? Because salvation is a gift. You can't pay for it. God paid for it. He sent his son to pay for it. Abraham had faith and believed in God. And because of that, he followed God. God. You know, I, I, don't, I don't serve and follow God because I think there's a set of rules that we have to follow to get to heaven or there's a set of standards that we have to do and rules that, get, that make me a Christian. I follow God because I have faith that he's going to lead me. I serve him. I love him. I give. I forgive people. Why? Because of the faith that he puts inside of me. We do good because of our faith. We do good because of our faith. We don't do good just because that's what the Bible says. We don't do good just because that's the right thing to do. We do good because we have faith in God, and he asks us to do good. He asks us to do good. Romans 4, 16 through 17 says this. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. Come on, everybody likes free gifts. I don't know about you, but I love it when somebody gives me a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham, for Abraham is the father of all believe. that is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you a father of many nations. It happened because Abraham believed in God. He believed in the God who could bring the dead back to life. Come on, that's an exciting thing. We have a God who can restore. We have a God who can bring the dead back to life. We have a God who is alive in us. And he wants to help us to live for him. You see, whenever uh, Abraham is old, he had a a certain promise that God had given him. He had a promise that God had given him. And and God had told him, you were going to be a father. Now, he told Abraham this when the dude was like 100 years old. If I told some of the people in here who were in their 40s and 50s you were going to be a parent, you're looking at me like you better shut your mouth right now. That ain't happening, Jack. Sorry. He told Abraham that when he was 100 Abraham had to look at himself, and he had to look at his wife. He probably made, first off, like a realistic, God, I ain't getting up and down the basketball court anymore. Like, you're telling me I'm going to have a kid? Do you know what it's like having a kid, God? Just just being sure we're on the same page. But he had faith. And even when he had no reason to, Abraham was going to believe in God. You see, Abraham knew Okay, this is the God who brings the dead to life. This is the God who is a God of resurrection, a God of immense power, a God who heals, a God who loves, a God who cares. If God is telling me that you can do this, I'm going to believe that he can do this. I answered the, the five questions that the Jews had for Abraham. Now I want to just get into four practical things that you can learn as you go, as you go throughout the day. How can I live out this faith that you're talking about? They answered the questions that Abraham had but how do I live out the faith that you're talking about here's the first thing of this Paul, Paul answer the questions and this is the encouragement even when there is no reason to keep trusting God even when there's no reason to keep trusting God I know it. it sounds completely illogical if you're like me I like logic all right I like it when things make sense sometimes things just don't make sense that's why we call it faith and I was told a few years ago, I was uh, helping my friend hook up their uh, TV system at their house, and it was me, him, and his wife, and, and we tried to hook it up. We put the TV, we put the little box in. This is back when we actually had to have a box to play this. We put it inside of, a, of the, the TV stand, but we couldn't put it in there to where it was flat. We had to turn it sideways and stuck it in the drawer. She says, that's not going to work for me. I'm like, well, it's the only way we can make it work. She said, that's not going to work. Okay, well, I'll pull it out and I'll put it flat right here. She said, that won't work either. I'm like, I got two options here. We can turn it sideways or we can put it flat. Neither one of those options are going to work. I said, you're being illogical right now. She said, when are you going to learn women are not logical? I was like, oh, I learned something right here. It didn't make sense to me, but for her, it made total sense. I didn't want to see that box, and we better figure out a way to make that box not happen. Didn't make sense to me, but it made total sense to her. And I was like, okay, I understand now. That's the thing. It doesn't always make sense, faith. It doesn't always make sense having hope when we don't want to have hope. Abraham in Romans 4.18, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. He kept believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that is how many descendants you will have. Come on, that's an exciting thing. Abraham believed even when he didn't have to. You can believe even when you don't have to. You might think there's some relationships in your life that are dead because of past hurts, past pain. You might think that there's some things that have no future. I wanna encourage you, we have the God who brings the dead back to life. We have the God who can restore things that are not able to be restored. We have a God that can open doors that have been closed sometimes for years. You might think I'm too far gone from God, you have no idea. That's why I want you to have hope. Because just like Abraham, we have a God that can do anything, anything. The second thing is this, stay strong while waiting by not focusing on your problem, but the promise. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. He knew that he was a hundred, that Sarah was a hundred, that his wife, the chances of her having a kid were very, very low. But Abraham kept hoping. He kept believing in God's promise because God had promised him, you are going to be the father. What promise has God spoken over your life that you need to keep believing in? What thing has he put inside of your heart that you know, I need to hold on to this. I need to keep believing this. This is important. Even when it doesn't make sense, I'm going to hope and hold on to this promise because I have the God who said, this is what's going to happen. We got to stay focused on that promise. Third thing is this strengthen your faith in God's promise. Don't argue with the devil. If you're like me, you ever have thoughts that just run through your head sometimes? Like all of a sudden you'll start arguing about something? You ever have the best arguments in your life in your head when nobody's around? That's me. I start arguing, and you know what the enemy likes to do? The devil loves to get into my head. He loves to say, this is what's going to happen. You're not good enough. This isn't going to work out. You don't have a big enough team. You're not in a big enough church. They're not going to approve this project. You're not going to be able to do this. Romans 4.20, Abraham never wavered in believing in God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and he is the, that is that he brought God Glory! Come on now. Abraham didn't stop believing. It says that he never wavered. Wavered means to doubt based on a dispute or a debate. You see, sometimes we can go off into a dark place. Sometimes we can go off into, it might be a room, it might be a closet. We go be by ourselves and we'll sit there by ourselves and we'll just, we'll go back and forth in our head. We'll say, there's no way. This isn't going to work. But God's saying, no, no. Don't waver. Keep it in the light. Hold on to the promise that I've given you. Hold on to the word that I've spoken you. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. I have a good future in store for you. Don't let go of that. Don't believe what the devil says. Don't argue with him. You just tell him, my God said this, and I'm believing that, Not you get out of my head. Come on, don't argue with the devil. The next thing is this. Go all in believing that God can do what he promises. Go all in believing that God can do what he promises. Romans 4, 21, he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever, come on, everybody say, whatever he promises. We gotta believe that God can do what he promised. We gotta believe that his promises are true. That he promised us that you have bright futures. That he promised us, your past, that's forgiven. I don't even see that anymore because of the blood of Jesus. we got to believe those promises. You know, one of the ways you can believe those promises is you can go all in at church. If you believe that the church is God's plan A to save the world, there is no plan B. If you believe that the way he wants to reach people is through the local church, then I want to encourage you, if you call Household of Faith your home, go all in. Go all in. Text this service when it ends. Text that number that Kyle talked about to get connected. Go through one of our Next Steps classes here at HOF. Sign up to get water baptized. Come on, we're water baptized today. I'm so excited. We have people taking that next step of faith. Get connected with a serving on a dream team. Get plugged into a small group where you can grow with other believers. Start giving whatever God asks you to give. Go all in because something happens when you go all in you got to start living by faith. And God wants you to have that what? Authentic faith. And part of it is you have to live like Abraham. you got to go all in, even when it's scary. Romans 4, 23-25 says this, And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, too. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we what? Believe in him. The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us what with God? Right. You see, Jesus died for all of our sins on the cross. That was, that was half the promise. He was going to die. He was going to pay the price for our sins. But there was a second part of that promise, and that is the promise to make us right with God by raising Jesus to life so that we could believe in faith in him so that we could be made right with God. And I want to ask you today, are you right with God? Are you in a place where you know my faith? I have that authentic faith. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. I'm just going to make one one simple call. If you know you're in a place right now where you say I need to have that authentic faith, I want to believe that Jesus did what he said he did. Just like that verse said, I want to believe in him so God counts me as righteous. If you're here today and you say, I want that faith, I want to be counted as righteous. You might have done it once. You might have never done it before. You might have done it a hundred times. It doesn't matter. God sees you and he wants to count you as one of them. If that's you today, if you say, I want that authentic faith, I want to be counted as righteous. I want to call out on Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I want to begin that relationship with God. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Very simply, yes. I see your hands. Thank you. Here's what we're going to do. Church, if you would, pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the sacrifice you made. Thank you for the resurrection power of the cross that you conquered death to give me new life. I ask you to come into my heart to help me to live for you and have that authentic faith. Show me the things that I need to do to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Come on, let's celebrate people who made the decision to follow Jesus.